0: Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. All right, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. We're in Nehemiah. Today we're in a series of messages entitled Rebuilding Hope. This is a series that is going to walk us through the entirety of the book of Nehemiah. And Each week that we've been walking through, it's been so clear that God has had a word for us for the very season that we're in as a church. And individually, I just have been praying for you that God has been ministering to you every day through whether the daily devotionals that you are receiving uh, or the small groups that some of you are now participating in, the sermons that you've been hearing. All of this is centered around Nehemiah, around the work that God did in their day and the work God's preparing for us in our community, in our lives, and even through service for service. So join me now in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to meet us as we go into his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you for your word in that, Lord, it is the timeless truth, Lord, of who you are. Lord, you have chosen through your word to reveal yourself to us. Lord God, we thank you today that your word has power to change and transform our lives, Lord God, as we walk in obedience to you. So we pray now that you would come and speak to us by the power of your word, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come and instruct and lead and guide us into all truth. We pray, Lord, that we would leave here different than we came in, Lord. And may it be because you have been meeting with us, ministering to us, touching us, Lord God, through your word now. So come, Lord, and teach us the things that matter to your heart, Lord God. Teach us what counts in your eyes, Lord God, for eternity. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to begin today's message by asking you a series of questions, and I don't want to hear all your answers out loud, but I want you to acknowledge uh, whether or not in some way to yourself or to the person even sitting next to you, uh, if you can remember these things or not, okay? This is a little bit of a test that I want to give you, so just think about each of these and how you would answer these questions. First one is, do you remember the color of the car that you rode to church in today? Okay, okay. Do you remember the color of the fifth car that you passed as you were driving down your street today? No? Okay. Uh, do you remember uh, the exact number of cars you passed by as you were driving to church today? No? Okay. Um, how many cars are in the parking lot today that you're parking? No? Okay. Uh, do you remember how many people were in the grocery store last time you went shopping? Do you remember what you forgot last time you went shopping after you got home? Yes. Yes. Do you remember how many people were in your wedding party when you got married? If you think about it. Do you remember where you went on your first date with your spouse, if you're married? Do you remember your waiter's name, that first date? Okay. Do you remember your birthday? I've been reminded today. (laughs) Do you remember your children's birthdays? Do you know your mailman's birthday? No? Okay. The way you answer these questions tells a lot about us. There are certain things that we can pull right back to our memory, are things that we can grab at a moment's notice when I ask you about that. It doesn't matter if it was something that happened a long time ago or yesterday, there are certain things that you just know that you have grabbed a hold of. They are the things that matter, the things that count. You have a way of counting. And so today's message is about counting what Counts meaning understanding and remembering the things that matter most. And so we have a way of remembering those things. And some of us, our memories can get fuzzy at times. I'm, sh- I'm sure a few uh, spouses have forgotten a very special date maybe, uh, your anniversary or a birthday. it can be times that you forget a name of a person that you know that you should remember, but you've forgotten it, and it it makes you feel a little bit foolish. But by and large, we have a way of counting What counts? We remember and call to recollection the things that matter most. Why? Because we've held on to them in a special way. They matter to us. Today as we read through this passage of scripture and we look in Nehemiah chapter 7 to someone that's just glancing at it, it looks as though it's just a list of names that are being listed out which was something we see often happen in Scripture. For some, you have trouble reading the Bible in your daily reading plans because you get to portions that you say, man, I I just feel like it's just a bunch of names and places and none of it makes much sense to me. Some of you, as you begin reading through the New Testament, you see a long list of families and names. It's called a genealogy that brings you all the way to Jesus. And you could say, man, I don't get it. There's just a bunch of random names. No, there's purpose in that. Here's what I want you to know today. That the God of the universe, the author of his word, of God's word, the Bible to us, has chosen of all the things that would be shared with us, all the things thousands of years after it was written that would be disclosed to us, some of it are names of individuals that we can't even pronounce very well, can we? There are people whose backstory you may not know whose history is not as famous as someone like Noah or Moses, and yet their names are written in Scripture and come down to us today. I believe it's one of the great examples of how God counts the things that count. And God makes mention of them. He has collected this information and seen that it would be fit for us today to see it, whether it's here in other portions of Scripture. Do you know why? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. You may say, that's very simple sounding. It's very, very true. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He didn't have some fixation with the atmosphere, the ozone layer, the salt water, the trees. Do you know whenever the scripture says, for God so loved the world, what it's referring to? Us, you. Someone said me, yes, you. God is crazy about you. He's crazy about people. He loves us with a love that we could never imagine. The God of the universe uses people to fulfill his purpose. And we have been reading a story about God using a group of people and a leader named Nehemiah to change history, to change a city, but most importantly, to change a nation and a group of people so that their hearts would be before God again. The first portion of this uh, reading that we've been through, chapters 1 through 6, has been all about the building of the walls and the building of the city. As we get to chapter 6, you could say, well, it's over now. We read last week how in 52 days the walls were rebuilt. Now the story's over. No, the story's just beginning. Because God's ultimate purpose was not just to build a city, it was to build a people and to establish, not just to change some walls, but to change some hearts and some lives. We get to move now from the time where we see a city being rebuilt to where we see a people being rebuilt, where we see lives and hearts being rebuilt and restored and revived so that they could be in relationship with God again. God's crazy about people. He cares so much about them that we now have this uh, recording of a group of people that God cared so much about that they would be found in His Word, and they can show us a lot about the things that matter most to the heart of God today. Chapter 7 of Nehemiah is so much more than a list. You know what it is? It is an accounting by the creator of the heavens and the earth for the things that matter most to him. And we see at each portion of this chapter what counts to God. And so today we're going to take a moment and we're going to count what counts in God's eyes. And there are some things that we can learn. As we seek to be a people that love God and live in relationship with him, there are things that count for eternity. And that's what we understand. God's word says that he's put eternity in the hearts of men. That for us, the things that we do in this life have the potential to count for eternity. We see the work that was happening during this time counts for eternity. Is the work that God has called you to and the work that you are putting your hands to in the life that you're living, is it counting for eternity? Let's take a look at that together. Let's look in Nehemiah chapter seven, starting in verse one. It says, now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors... And the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. So Nehemiah gives some context to when this is happening in chapter 7. It's after the work has been completed. Last week, Pastor Marshall shared a powerful word about how we stand against the enemy and not allow him to impede on the progress and the calling and the purpose that God has for our lives. And Nehemiah modeled that very well. He would not take his eyes off the vision of what God had for him. And he said, I'm going to fulfill exactly what God has placed me here to do. And not let threats, not let any intimidation, not let schemes come in the way of me doing what God has set out for me to do. And so he overcame fear, adversity, all of those things. And the work was completed in 52 days. Something that for others they couldn't have done in 52 years, they did in 52 days why? Because they didn't allow themselves to become distracted. They stayed focused on what God had called them to do. So Nehemiah completed the work. He said, after all the work has been completed, after the walls were up and the, the doors were hung, the gates were all in place, he began to go through and appoint individuals. And as he begins to appoint individuals, Nehemiah starts with the very important ones the leaders. He is mentioning first those that he is going to appoint to special places of leadership. And we need to understand the first thing that counts today is our leadership counts, meaning our leadership matters. Nehemiah looks, and as he's looking to continue this work, because he realized that when the walls were up, that was just the beginning of what God really wanted to accomplish. And if that work was going to stand... For time And continue to stand the test of time that he would need leaders to be in place. He realized that the walls were only as strong as the leaders he placed on them. He realized that the city would only be as secure as the leaders that would rise up and take the positions he had called them to. And so Nehemiah begins to appoint leaders to serve in some very special places. Let's read verses 2 and 3. It says this, Then I put Hananiah my brother in Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem for he was a faithful man and he feared God feared God more than many then i said to them do not let the gates of jerusalem be open until the sun is hot and while they are standing guard let them shut and bolt each door also appoint guards for the inhabitants of jerusalem each at his post and each in front of his own house So Nehemiah begins to appoint leaders, calling people to rise up and to stand and to take on the call of leadership during this time. We can see that these walls are secure now, that you could say the work is already finished, that's why they build walls, but they realize that the integrity of the wall would only matter if there was integrity in the leaders, the people that were placed there, that they would be the ones fulfilling the purpose God had for them. In studying for this, I came across a story that talked about the Great Wall in China. And it said that the Great Wall in China is one that during its time when it was meant to be something used to protect and keep out individuals, there were only four recorded instances of that wall ever being breached. Could you imagine a wall that big that goes that long only breached four times? And every time it was because someone that was standing on the wall was bribed into allowing them to come through. See, the, the real security, the real health of the city, of the place that God was working, he knew it wasn't in the walls, it was in the leaders, the leadership rising up and being willing to do what God had called them to do. And so it was so vitally important for Nehemiah to appoint leaders to stand in the right place. Are there any leaders in the house today? Some of us, we would try to answer this question, what is leadership? What is leadership? And for many, I think that we can define it in different ways. When it comes to uh, our day to day we can often define leadership in all the wrong ways. We can think of leadership as simply having a certain title or a certain position. We are learning, quickly learning what I believe God's word has taught us all along, that leaders, it's not about your title or your position. It's about something much different than that. You see, leadership is best defined the way that I believe that John Maxwell defines it. Here's what he says, and this comes straight from John Maxwell, who's a great leadership guru. He said, leadership is not about titles, positions, or flow charts. It is about one life influencing another. That's leadership. Leadership is influence. And therefore, I believe that there are more leaders in this room than you could imagine. You know why? Because I believe every person in this room is a leader. I actually believe that every soul that is up in our children's wing from the youngest child to the oldest worker is a leader. Because leadership is influence. And they may not be influencing someone yet, but at some point in time or another, there will be an opportunity for them to influence someone. And when you're doing that, you're operating in leadership. You're allowing your life to influence another life. For some of them, it can be good leadership healthy leadership, godly leadership for others. It could be sinful leadership, wrong leadership, bad leadership, but we all have at some point in, or another we will be operating in the gift of leadership and our leadership counts. It matters. It matters to God. It matters for eternity whenever we are using it for God's purposes. Your life was meant to influence others. The moment that you said yes to following Jesus, do you know what happened? You became a follower of the king of kings, but you became a leader of others. Because your calling now is to help lead others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You're called to be a leader. You're called to lead. You're called to have an influence on others where they will respond to Jesus. Therefore, if we are called to be leaders, you need to know that the God of all creation sees you and knows that your leadership counts. It counts and it matters It mattered in Nehemiah's day and therefore he appointed in the the most respected and trusted positions the leaders that he felt were most respectable and trustworthy. And we see that there's a man that he points out and it teaches us some principles on leadership that when he looks, he appoints a man named Hananiah and look at verse two, what it says. It says, I did this because he was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. These are two attributes that are very, very important. First, to be a faithful man means that you are honoring what you have been called to honor. That you are being faithful to what you have been called to do. You are walking in obedience to God. Do you see the root word of faith there? You need to understand today that we often talk about faith as a church. Faith is being able to trust in what we cannot even see. It's being able to trust God in spite of the circumstances. We live our lives by faith, not by sight. It's an abiding trust in God that he is who he says he is, that his word is what it is as it is, and that he will be faithful to us. And therefore, as we live a life by faith, we are walking in obedience, meaning we are walking faithfully. Faith and faithfulness are one in the same, that we are putting our trust in God by living a life faithful to him. And so this man, Hananiah, was a man who was faithful. And you need to know this, that your leadership, the greatest test is in your leadership. Are you being faithful to God? Are you being faithful to what he's called you to? Are you walking in that way? And if you are, God uses that kind of leadership. And the second part is that he feared God more than many. He feared God more than many. What a title. If we could just get rid of all of our business cards, if you think about it say you probably have a business card in your pocket. If you could take it out, you could erase it, and you can just put this, your name, no title, Faithful and Fears God More Than Many. That would be the greatest title, the greatest description that could be given of you. To fear God is not an unhealthy thing. It's not a dangerous thing. It is the most healthy thing that you can do. Last week, we talked about the idea of fear, and we've been talking about fear mainly in the negative because it's the fear that the enemy would try to bring into your life, and it's one of the the great tools that the enemy has counterfeited, had taken away from the Lord, has distorted, manipulated, and, and changed and used it to try to lead people away from God. He takes fear, and he puts it into our hearts by intimidation, by all kinds of schemes, And many times that fear then causes us to do everything but serve God. So fear like that, that kind of fear that is not of the Lord is not from the Lord. It is away from Him. The only fear that we are called to ever have in Scripture is a fear of the Lord. It's a fear of the Lord. Now, a fear of the Lord is not that we are afraid and we start crying and screaming every time we talk about Him or think about Him. It's a reverence. It's a holy awe of the Lord. It is a soberness in our thinking when we realize just how big he is, just how small we are, just how far we have fallen, and just how amazing his grace is that he has saved us and redeemed us and changed us and loves us. That should fill us with a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Whenever we walk in a fear of the Lord, we begin to know. We begin to understand. We begin to be able to understand what God has called us to do with our lives. When we're not operating out of a healthy fear of the Lord, you know what happens? Compromise comes into our lives. And often that fear is instantly given to something else. Do you know why many people, you know why the many people weren't fearing the Lord like Hananiah was? Because they were fearing something or someone else. It says this, he feared God more than many. May it be said of us, may it be said of me, we fear God more than many others. Because whenever you're able to do that, you're not able to fall into the traps of fear that the enemy will continue to put out in front of you. Whenever you fear God more than many, it means that you fear him more than you fear man. Do you know why he was able to fear God more than many others around him? Because so many people were afraid of other people, what they thought, what they schemed against them, what their opinions were. Today is no different. There are many that are more afraid of man than they are afraid of God. That shape their lives around the opinions of others more than around God's word and his truth. You have to make a choice in your life. Is my heart going to live to fear God and God alone? Or am I going to be afraid of everything and everyone else? Because if you're not operating in that fear of the Lord, you're susceptible to be afraid of everything else. And if you aren't fearing the Lord in that way, you should be afraid of everything else. But when we trust in the Lord, when we are faithful to Him, and when we're fearing Him, walking in reverence to Him, God uses that as a key quality of a leader that He wants to elevate and use to change the lives of those around Him. This matters so much to God. He puts it in the heart of Nehemiah to seek out those kinds of leaders. And I'll tell you what, the heart of God continues to look today for who is it that he will see that is faithful to him, that fears him, that honors him, and that he could use to change others' lives. Church, our leadership counts. He's given us the opportunity individually to influence others. And in just a few weeks, in three weeks' time from this Sunday, we have the opportunity to go out into our community and you know what we're doing during that time? We're leading people to Jesus by our influence. We're going to go out and we're going to model Christ to others. You know what this? is? We're influencing them with the love of Christ, with the servant heart of Jesus. And as we do that, people see it and they respond to it. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. It says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It says here that we are called to remember our leaders. And oftentimes we would see this as those who were pastors or in ministry leadership. But think about the ramifications of this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Model, model their way of life. Look at the outcome of it and see their faith and allow that to be your example. Whenever we Live as leaders and we are called to influence others. That involves speaking God's word and God's truth to others. It involves us being faithful to live trusting him in the midst of our circumstances. And when we do that, it influences other people. Think about this with me. Is there a time that you've gone through a difficulty, a crisis, maybe at work, and as you're there and as you're going through it, someone else learns about it and they come to you and they want to offer you what? 101 solutions to your problem. They have all kinds of ideas for you. Is there anyone else that works with anyone else like that? And they're offering you all those solutions. And I don't know if you've ever had this opportunity where you say, you know what, no, no, we're trusting the Lord with this. We trust that God heals. We trust that God provides. I'm praying that this would happen. And they watch you. And they watch your faith. Others come to you and they say, aren't you worried? Aren't you? No, No, you know what, I'm trusting in God. And they see that. And you know what happens to them? they see the outcome of your way of life and they watch how God provides and they watch how God is faithful and you know what ends up happening? They want to imitate your faith. And they come to you and when they're going through the crisis, who are they running to? The one who has been praying, the one who has been trusting God, the one. and they follow after. And you know what God does? He opens wide doors for opportunity for you to influence others for his glory, for his goodness. Let's use the gift that God's given us of leadership and influence to influence others for him so he could use us to fulfill the purpose he has for us in this life. So God's called us to count leadership, to understand it, to see that it matters inside of this life and for even eternity. The second thing that counts is our worship. Our worship counts. It's very important. Worship is so much more than the songs that we sing on a Sunday. It's not about the 25 minutes whenever we first walk into these doors. Does anyone else know that worship is a lifestyle? It's a way that you're called to live your life before God, that your life is literally meant to be an act of worship through the way that you talk, through the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you treat others, the way that you use what God has entrusted to you. You're called to live a life that worships him. Meaning that you're magnifying God. When we say the word worship, it means that we are describing and ascribing worth to God, the creator of the universe. When we lift up those songs and we come together, it's not so we can hear how pretty we all sing. You know why we do it? Because we want God to know how much we love him, how much we adore him how much that we know and realize that he is crazy about us, he loves us just as we are, and how grateful we are for all that he's done in our lives. We give it to him as an act of worship, as an act of praise, and we lift up his name, meaning we lift him higher than anything else because we love him, because we adore him, because he is worthy of all of our praise. And so our worship counts. If we think back in Nehemiah, Many would see this as just simply a construction project, but the real work that was happening, the real reason behind it for Nehemiah and the people is because they wanted to have a relationship with God again. And they could not have that relationship with God if they couldn't worship. The condition of the city was really found in the condition of their worship. And the walls could have been rebuilt, but if they weren't a people that were going to worship God, then what did it matter at all? It did not matter. Because their lack of worship is what caused the walls to fall in the first place. Their lack of hearts and relationship with God is what caused them to fall into judgment and all kinds of sin. And so, therefore, worship counts to God. It matters. One of the first things Nehemiah does as he begins chapter 7, verse 1, he appoints worship leaders. He appoints those that are going to serve, the Levites, the singers, those that will help lead the people into worship. He saw that our worship counts and it matters to God. And therefore, that was at the front of his list. Our worship counts. When we worship the Lord in this way, whenever we do that, God will move in our midst. For many, we pray and we hear this a lot, right? You can see this all over the internet, and, and it's just common language. We pray that God will raise up leaders, that God will put godly leaders back in high places in government and leadership again. And we pray and say, God, the nation is is on a, is on a collision course, and we don't like the what we see the outcome to be. And Lord, if only, if only you would just change something in Washington. If only you would just raise up this person or that person and put them there. And oftentimes we pray because we want revival. We want God to move. Does anyone else want God to move in our land again? Does anyone else want God to revive our country and our hearts and our communities? And we pray that way. But something that God's been convicting my heart about is that is this very simple idea. And you actually heard it earlier in this service. If you're praying for revival... If you're truly desiring to see God move in a mighty way, the best way for us to do that, church, is take yourself, stand somewhere, draw a circle around yourself and say, God, bring revival and bring it here. Bring it here in my life right now, Lord God. May the revival begin in my life. The problem, I believe, with, with so many, what happens is that we pray for national revival without praying for personal revival. And I'll tell you what, if you want to see national revival, it starts with personal revival. Because we can look at it and we can say that a a, a city uh, needs a godly leader and and a people need a godly leader. And we can see that. But guess what? Even after a godly leader comes, if there's a godless people, the city will still fall. And you can have a a godly city with, with godly people and you can have an ungodly leader and yet God can still move. But what it all hinges on is worship. It hinges on God himself moving in lives. And if worship isn't at the center of it, then that's when things are really at stake, really in jeopardy. And so if we're praying for revival, church, let's pray for personal revival. And as that happens, and if we believe what God's word says about leadership being influenced, you know what happens? As God lights a fire in your life and as you begin to live for him, you begin to experience him moving in your life and his spirit overcoming you, that has a ripple effect It has a contagious effect on those around you because you have the gift of leadership. And therefore, that fire burns bright and hits another and another. And before long, revival sweeps through the land. I'll tell you what, revival comes quicker that way than it ever would top down. So if we pray for revival, we pray, God, come and revive us. And that happens through worship. That happens through God being in his rightful place in every heart, in every life. Are you magnifying him? Are you lifting him up? Are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Are you seeking to know him more and more every day? As we worship the Lord and as we pray, God will revive our hearts, he will revive our lives, he will revive our land. But it starts with me, right? It starts with us. Our worship counts. It counts for eternity. Because our worship is ultimately us giving worth, giving worth to God. And so worship is all about that idea of God's worth. But the final thing that God counts and matters to him is our worth. Our identity matters to God. For some of us today, we could say, what does that mean? My, me? Here's what you need to know today. God's word says that he has numbered the hairs on your head. He knows them. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that he knows you? Do you believe that God, the God of the universe, is so big that we read about and are talking about and singing to today, he knew you before your mom knew you. He knew you before anyone knew you. He knew you before you knew you. And the God of the universe loves you and cares about who you are. It's amazing. And he cares about your worth. And today, I I look at the world around us and I think that we're plagued with an issue that can so easily defeat us and cause us to drift off from the purposes of God. Because for us, our identity, it matters to God and so many of us, our identity is found in the wrong things. And I want to focus today on on how many people have found their identity. It's that we find and measure our worth by our work. What I mean by that is I am as good as the work I produce. I am as good as my work says that I am. And therefore, as you're going through life and you are enjoying all the things that you put your hand to, and for some of you, you see success in some way. Do you know what you say? My worth is in my work. My worth is in what I am able to accomplish in and of my own strength. That's who I am. Who I am is what I do. And therefore, your titles, your accolades, your success, it all becomes bound up in who you are. Your worth comes from your work. And I want to tell you, friends, this is a dangerous place to live. Whenever you're younger, whenever you're successful, it may feel like a great place. But I'll tell you what, if you're living where your worth is coming from your work, you will be very sad very soon. Here's why. Whenever you are living with your worth in your work, your success goes to your head. Pride floods in. You begin to believe you're as good as you think you are and others think you are. And that goes to your head, and that's not a good thing to have. But the worst part is whenever the success isn't there anymore, when the failure comes, your success goes to your head, but your failure goes to your heart. And when it goes to your heart, your heart is broken. And you begin to become depressed. You, be, you begin to fall away. You begin to fall into behaviors that you never thought you would ever do. You become self-destructive. You know why? Because your worth was in your work, is in what you could produce, what you could do. And so often whenever you do that, you're riding through these ups and these downs. And I want you to know that the God of the universe didn't create you to draw your worth out of what you do. He wanted to give you a whole different kind of identity, a whole different kind of way of living your life because your identity counts to God. Who you are matters to him more than what you do. See, in Nehemiah's... uh, genealogy that's listed here, it's different than the one that is listed in chapter 3. In chapter 3, you saw a few things that happened. Nehemiah, he mentioned a group of people, who they were, what they did, and where they worked. That's how chapter 3, and as you go into some of chapter 4, that's how it's talking about. Who they were, what they did, where they worked. But as you get here into chapter 7, something different is happening. Because that's what they did. That's the work being accomplished. But whenever you're going to talk about a people... Nehemiah doesn't go and pull out a group of records and says, I just want a listing of everyone that did exactly what they did. I want to know the guys that pulled the stones out and I want to know them because that's their identity and that's what's going to make them the people of God. No way. Their identity was found in something much bigger. It wasn't about them in the work that they did. It was about whether or not they were part of the family of God, the people of God. And so what Nehemiah did was now as it was coming closer, it was time for them to come back and to ultimately live in the place God had made and made a way for them to live in. Look what it says in Nehemiah 7, 4 through 6. It says, now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. And then my God, this is Nehemiah, put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, the people, to be enrolled by genealogies. And then I found the book of genealogy of those who first came up in which I had found the following record. This is the people, the province, who came up from captivity of the exiles whom Nehemiah, king of Babylon, had carried away. This is what mattered most to Nehemiah. Not the work that they did, but it was who they were and what family they belong to. That's what mattered most in the end to him. That's what matters most to us, not what we do, but who we are. And in this idea of identity, I think about many people who find their worth in their work, in what they do, and how skilled and how talented they are. And one of the great examples of this that I can imagine is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, I believe, is one of the greatest athletes of all time. Does anyone agree with me? There was no one that, that I believe really could play like him. You could put LeBron James and all them in, in, in a court with him. I just believe he would come out on top in his prime. And here's why. I don't think there was anyone that had this drive that he had, that he could just take over a game. He could just take over whatever situation that he found himself in. And as I was growing up, seeing him just was, was amazing to just see how incredibly talented he was and how that became his very identity. I mean, when you think Jordan, you think of this picture, right? A silhouette of that picture of him dunking like that. That's him. That's who he is. That's his identity. When I talk about someone's worth, let's talk about that. I I read one article like two, three days ago that he's selling uh, his house. It's it was $29 million, and now he's trying to sell for $14 million. He had to cut it in half because no one's willing to buy it yet. So he's got a guy who's sitting on so much money that he's able to cut $15 million off the price of his house in just a moment. But I learned something else about him and his worth, that in his first 15 years, his whole 15-year career in the NBA, he made a total of $94 million playing basketball, doing what he did best his work, bringing him some worth, a big net worth. But last year alone, 2014, he made more money in that one year selling shoes than he made his entire 15-year career combined. He made $100 million off of his shoes in one year. He now owns franchises. He owns a, a basketball franchise. He, 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 just to get him to come speak, if I wanted him to come and do this illustration for me, it would set us back $50,000. So he's talking about someone with some serious net worth. But he was doing, he just turned 50 years old this year. And as he was doing an an interview with a sporting magazine, they were talking to him about what matters most to him and, 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 and what he thinks of all that he has accrued. And here's the exact quote that comes from Michael Jordan's mouth. I would give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. And for many of us, I don't even know if we can grasp what he's saying. He's saying, all that I've accrued, all that I have, I would give it all up if I could just go back and play basketball again. If I could just get back onto the, the court and I could just dribble again, just be a part of a team again, just compete again. Do you know why he says something like that? Because his worth is so bound up in what he does. This guy, the same drive that made him the best ever was the very same thing that has caused him, if you followed his story, to fall into addictions and gambling. Because and com- he is just someone who has to win, who has to do it, who has to be the best, who has to work. His worth is completely bound in his work. And therefore, as he gets to this stage in life, none of that really matters All that matters is what he can do. And he's grappling with not being able to do it anymore. I want you to take notice of this because your story won't make the news in the same way. But it will be the same exact story. That you will get to a time whenever your strength begins to fail you, whenever your work isn't where it once was, and you will feel like a failure. You will feel like you let everyone down. You will feel like you have no value at all. And the God of the universe just wants you to know today with his love that your worth doesn't come from your work, that you are loved as you are, right where you are, not for what you've tried to earn, but because he loves you because you're his child. Today, today as we look at God's word. Today as we consider our identity, here's the only thing that matters. It's what mattered in Nehemiah's day. That the people would come and they would come and he had one question for you. It wasn't what work did you complete? It wasn't how many stones did you do? What part did you build? Here's the question. Are you a part of the family of God or not? Because if you're in this book, if you're in this genealogy record, you're a part of God's family. And if you're a part of God's family, you're welcomed in. And if you're not, I appreciate all the hard work. I appreciate everything that you did. But this is reserved for God's family. There are those that came. And as they're taking the genealogy in verse 64, we see that there are some priests. And they've come and they're, they're ready and they've been serving. Everyone knows that they serve as priests. All the work shows that they have been that. All their work would account for it. They, People had lived with them for so long and yet as they came forward and they read through the book, look what it says. They searched among the registration and they could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and they were excluded from the priesthood. All that mattered in the end was their name written in this book. It wasn't measured on their worth and on their work. It was measured on who they were. And today, today, here's what I want you to know that the God of the universe wants you to turn to him again, that our Lord Jesus Christ has given you a brand new identity if you have called upon him as Lord and Savior. And today that identity is what matters most to you, not what you can do, but who you are in him. And in the end, there will be an accounting. And the Bible describes it as a book that will be opened. And as a book is opened, it will be called the Lamb's Book of Life. And they will look in that book And all that will matter in the end of the day is not how many titles were after your name, not how much you did, not how much you earned, not how much you provided. No matter what people thought of you in the work you did, all that will matter in the end will be is your name there or not. It won't be what you did in that moment. It'll be who you are. Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? And today... Today, I want you to know that you could have all the money in the world and you could try to buy your way into that book. You can't do it. But I'm so thankful you don't have to because Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the son of God. He was born. He lived here on earth. He walked. Some of the places that we have walked, he died on a cross. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back again one day. For us, In that, what he did was he paid the ultimate price for us so that we could have a relationship with God, so that our name could be in that book, so that we could be a part of God's family today. And in the end of your life, that is all that will matter. Are you a part of God's family or not? Have you called upon Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? So today, I want you to bow your heads and your hearts with me. And today, I want you to answer the only question that matters in the end. Not what have you done, but who are you? Are you a child of God? Have you called upon Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins? Today, I want to give you the opportunity to do just that. If you can hear me today online, if you can hear me in in our overflow or, or any of this space in front of me here in this sanctuary. Today, if you know you're not right with God, Today, if you know this will be the day that you want to turn to Jesus, I want you to say a prayer with me. I want you to ask Him to come and forgive you of your sins, and I want you to commit to follow Him for the rest of your life. Pray something like this. You can pray along with me if you'd like. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, they've separated me from you. Lord, but I know that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. Lord, forgive me. I commit to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for making me a part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. Today, if you made that decision, I don't want this just to be a private decision that you've made just by yourself. Jesus said literally this, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. If you do not acknowledge me before men, I don't acknowledge you before my Father. And today, I want you to know that your faith, you putting your trust in Jesus is not just a private decision, it's a personal decision, but it's also one that you do proudly before others. And it's something you don't be afraid of or ashamed of at all. And so today, I want to tell you, just, I want to just encourage you that you take another step in that decision. At the conclusion of our service, there are going to be people standing down here. They're pastors and leaders and altar workers, prayer workers. I want you to not leave this room without telling one person that you made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe it's a person that invited you today. Maybe it's someone that's sitting near you. But today i want you to make that decision that you're going to tell someone that you decided to follow jesus today and we'd love to walk with you on that journey church can we all stand together today and can those that are going to serve us down here uh, for our prayer time at the end come at this time let's spend these last moments going before the lord and just continuing to allow his word to minister to our hearts allow god to grow you in your leadership allow him to grow your intimacy and desire for him in worship, and allow him to continue to affirm and change your identity as you follow him. God bless you. We have this space available for prayer. Please come forward if you're responding to God's word or need prayer. Uh, Let's worship God. Please save your conversations for the foyer. We'll see you next week.